the automated podcast. So welcome to another episode of Automated, the podcast exploring the impact of technology on jobs. I'm your host, Mark Verbenkov. So before jumping into today's episode, I wanted to touch a bit on relevant news. And the first has to deal with what many people have been talking about recently, the coronavirus. So actually, I found it really interesting to read that the first warnings of the virus were sent out not by a whistleblower or some news agency, but actually from an AI. So the Canadian Blue Dot algorithm scours international news reports as well as airline ticket data specifically to predict disease spread. So it supposedly sent out a warning on December 31st, whereas the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention only put out a notice on January 6th and then followed by the World Health Organization on January 9th. So if Blue Dot's alert had actually motivated uh, specific travel restrictions sooner, the number of infected cases may have been far more controlled. So you can see that with machine learning and natural language processing, data can be organized as well as acted upon with the urgency that infectious diseases require. So it's been said that algorithms like Blue Dot and other similar data-driven decision engines will be essential for preserving global population health as networks proliferate. But do you think you trust an AI warning more than one of these traditional institutions? I personally am not sure yet. So moving on with the second piece of news here, uh, even with the economic slowdown in China due to the virus, Fooddom Robotic Restaurant opened in a city in China on January the 12th. So this is a fully automated restaurant that has almost 50 robots in operation. Uh, I'll have a link to a short video of what the restaurant looks like in the show notes if you want to see. But fully automated restaurants has been something that has been tried and talked about for several years now. It'll be interesting, I think, to follow this and see if uh, more restaurants in the area will pop up. So the third news item here is a little bit controversial. So on February the 6th, a South Korean TV documentary showed a mother interact with a VR recreation of her seven-year-old daughter who had died in 2016 from an incurable disease. So I think I won't weigh in on the moral implications of this. I think that we all have our perspective on such a uh, potentially dysutopian event. But what I will say is that This isn't a one-time thing, and it does fit into the creation of the digital avatars that I spoke about back in episode 16. There are even now a couple of startups focused exclusively on this now. So I have to thank my friend Amy for bringing this to my attention. Also, if you have any interesting articles or news that you think would be interesting for me to mention on the podcast, please send them my way, as I think it helps make what is discussed on the podcast a little bit more tangible. And as always, I'll have a link in the show notes in case you want to see a little clip of the uh, South Korean TV documentary. But moving on, uh, up until now, many of the previous episodes have showcased specific technologies that have the potential to automate a large number of jobs. I also think that in the back of many people's minds today, this idea of a more or completely automated future already exists simply due to the impressive capabilities of many of the new and emerging technologies that are showcased in various media platforms. However, at the start of this podcast, I set the context for the future of jobs as having one of two possible futures. Essentially, one future deals with 
continuous job creation, and the other with massive job replacement via automation technologies. So I want to bring back this central idea and add to both of these perspectives with today's podcast as well as next week's. So next week, I will present on continuous job creation, while today I want to present uh, three ideas that support the future notion of a jobless future. So the first idea here is that of the fake job economy. And this actually rose sharply during the economic recession brought on by the 2008 financial crisis. So secondly, we'll look at the idea of bullshit jobs, as proposed by David Graeber. And thirdly, a look at a few of the jobs that have already disappeared and the next jobs that are predicted to disappear. So first, let's look at fake jobs. And this is also known as practice firms or virtual companies or Potemkin businesses. And this actually really shocked me when I first heard about it five years ago. And out of the three things that we'll be talking about today is my uh, favorite idea. So in 2015, many articles actually came out about the fake job movement predominantly occurring in Europe. So at a high point in dealing with the European unemployment struggle, EU countries broadened the use of these practice firms that had been established back in 1993. So these practice firms started out as training programs to help students at their outset of their careers or people between jobs to gain uh, workplace skills. Essentially, these were jobs with physical offices, accounting, sales and marketing departments, CEOs, etc. But just with one catch, they didn't actually have any products. So you can take uh, Candelia, this is a French office furniture business, but they had no furniture that was being made. All customers were part of other practice firms, revenues and expenses were digitally generated, and the online catalog was just imaginary. So in an attempt to combat the rise of unemployment during the 2008 crisis and the years following that, the use of these fake jobs actually increased as people stayed there for years on end. So long-term unemployed people worked at fake companies. And thousands of these fake companies across Europe hired fake employees to sell fake products to fake customers. So it's actually been written that some of the fake companies even fell into fake bankruptcy and the fake staff went on to set up new fake companies taking out fake loans from fake banks. And even other fake companies held strikes. So many employees, I put this in air quotes, mentioned an increase in confidence since starting at these fake jobs. So there was some positive benefit to this. But with the economic recovery I've seen over the last several years, I wasn't really able to find any evidence of the same amount of long-term stays in these fake businesses as before. However, there are currently still over 7,000 of these practice enterprises across the world. But if the automated future perspective is to be the dominant future, this account of the fake jobs economy might be something that governments use again to deal with the rising unemployment caused by automation technologies, as of course they continue to outperform humans in many of the jobs we currently do. But do you think you'd want to work at a fake job for a number of years, or possibly indefinitely? I definitely would not. So moving on to the second idea here, the next argument for the automated future comes from David Graeber and his sketch of something called bullshit jobs. So even if new jobs are being created, many of them might not serve any purpose whatsoever, even if they aren't in a fake company. 
But uh, what is a bullshit job? So David Graeber explains it as it is paid work that meets two conditions. Firstly, it is so completely useless and unnecessary that even the employee cannot justify its existence. Secondly, as part of the work relationship, the employee and his or her colleagues, even though they feel that their job is bullshit, act as if what they do is important. So essentially, if the bullshit job disappeared, nobody in the world would notice it. So Graeber classifies five different types of bullshit jobs. There's flunkies, goons, duct tapers, box tickers, and taskmasters. And I'll briefly outline what each of these are. So flunkies are jobs created to make their superiors feel important. So Graeber writes that administrative assistants and receptionists are examples because you yourself seem very important if you do not answer the phone yourself. So the greater your span of control as a manager, the more important you are. Secondly, goons describe the people who do work that actually exists only because others do it. So examples of this are the army, uh, public relations functions, and marketing departments. Think of building an army simply because other regions are doing it first. Or a company must do marketing because a competitor will have an advantage if they do not do it. The world would not end if the marketing manager position ceased to exist and we were not seeing advertising every single day that encourages us to buy products that have no impact on the quality of our lives. So thirdly, duct tapers are the jobs that exist because the product or process is not well designed so that people are constantly solving issues. You can think of uh, software developers who need to continuously update shoddy code customer service jobs that constantly have to apologize on behalf of their company for not delivering the promised service, etc. So fourthly, box tickers include the jobs needed to prove that an organization is doing something. So uh, Graver says that the best example of this is work that came from a NGO that was supported by a large company. So the large company wanted to have many progress reports to show that supporting charities is valuable and that they supported this valuable charity. But instead of doing the real project, the money was used to manage people who had to create all these reports. So this category of jobs includes shifting paperwork, especially in governments and the insurance industry. Entitlement to benefits, allowances, payments of claims, thousands of people have a job designing forms for these kinds of services checking, awarding money, talking to people who ultimately do not receive the money, and there are even entire companies that make money by coaching people how to fill out all those forms. So finally, taskmasters are those who manage or create work for those who don't need it. So a good example is middle management that redistributes and even creates useless tasks for others. Many types of project managers, consultants, coaches, and middle management positions can fall into this category, says Graeber. So the question is then, do you have a bullshit job? If you think you do, you're not alone. So there were actually two surveys done on this specific question in the UK and the Netherlands by the market research firm YouGov. And it found that 40% of the people surveyed concluded that they had a bullshit job. So if this is in fact true, and also applicable to most other Western countries, I'm just going to leave it up to your own imagination as to how this idea supports the idea of future job automation. 
So moving on to the third idea, there are of course numerous jobs and even entire professions that have become obsolete and disappeared over the course of human history. I'll have some links to articles with long lists of these, but I want to just highlight a few that I think are interesting because not only did they disappear recently, but they also came into existence relatively recently. So perhaps one of the most iconic jobs that has become obsolete due to new technology is the switchboard operator. So as discussed in the holiday episode, people used to be responsible for connecting people calling other phones. Though the job lasted for almost exactly 100 years, this can now be done entirely digitally. Secondly, we have the movie projectionist. I think I mentioned in a previous episode that I actually worked as a movie projectionist during my student days, moving film through a complicated projector so that it would play for the audience. However, as I was actually leaving this job, the first digital projectors were being installed, and they are now, of course, the norm in theaters today. This job also lasted about 100 years. And thirdly, also mentioned in one of the first episodes, the elevator operator is an obsolete trade. It also lasted a little bit over 100 years, though it still does exist today, but mostly for show. Fourthly, we have uh, the word processor. So this is actually a job, not the word processor that you have on your computer. So before computers, there were typists who took shorthand or dictation and typed it up. With computers coming into mainstream use, typists then moved to word processing departments. However, of course, today, with word processing software like Microsoft Word and even voice-to-text apps, there are, of course, fewer and fewer word processing and typist jobs out there, and they are dwindling in number every single year. And lastly, the video store clerk. So the first video store opened in 1977 in Los Angeles, and with Blockbuster going bankrupt in 2010, and the streaming wars between uh, Netflix, Disney+, Amazon, etc. being in full swing today, the video store clerk, I think, is well on their way out. So though the jobs described are either completely or very nearly eradicated, other jobs have, of course, been predicted to be very likely to vanish in the next decade or two. A few of these are all forms of drivers, uh, fast food workers, cashiers, even legal secretaries, executive and administrative assistants, parking enforcement, telephone operators, etc. Though these are, of course, just a few select examples, one of the reasons I chose these is that I think that they illustrate a trend, namely that the further back in history you look, Jobs existed for greater periods of time after their creation, whereas now there are clear examples where entire professions are made and destroyed in shorter intervals. One could even say that this happens in the span of one's own lifetime. So the main point here is that long-standing skills and professions are not necessarily going to be around simply because they have been for a long time. But what will replace them? So next week, we'll look at this with the opposite side of the main argument, namely the skills and jobs of the future. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave a like or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, feel free to do so over Twitter or LinkedIn by searching for Automated Podcast. You can also get in touch via my website, automatedpodcast.org, and drop me an email. 
On the website, you can find the episode transcripts and all the sources I use in these episodes, plus blog articles and additional resources and information on this topic, as well as the podcast. See you next week. The Automated Podcast.